as long as I can remember, like my cognitive years, she's been there. Um, my friend got me the Speak Now live album for my like, guess like seventh birthday, I think. I remember I was always that kid, like, I tried to be so different by being like, I don't like the girly types of things, I'm cool or whatever, but um, that was just completely a false front. Hi, I'm Siva Vadianathan. And I'm Emily Burrell. And yeah, this is Democracy in Danger. So, Siva, are we listening to Taylor Swift? Yeah, that is Taylor Swift. And we're not just listening to Taylor Swift. We're also listening to some local Swifties. Um, my name is Elsa Miller. I'm a junior at CHS, and I'm 17. Just to clarify, CHS is what we call Charlottesville High School. Like, I, I would go into my room and, um, like, listen to her on my iPod um, when no one else was around. <laughs> Uh, I'm Maggie Hafey, I'm a senior at CHS, and I'm 17 years old. And it was it was my older brother who was really into her. We would use we used to like put on talent shows um, for my parents, um, and we would like just sing and dance. He was always he always had to be Taylor, which was the problem. I was always the backup dancer, but um, a lot of my growing up has been accepting, you know the impact that she's had on me and a lot of other girls. Now, Emily, I know you didn't grow up with Taylor Swift, but my daughter and her friends definitely have. And I'm here to make the case that Swift matters and that celebrities, stars, artists like her can matter to the future of American democracy. Okay. All right. So you spoke with some of these young women recently? Yeah, yeah. I brought them into our studio here and I let them roll about what SWIFT means to them, what SWIFT means to girls and women in America. And they taught me a lot. They told me all about the issues, some of them controversial, that she's put herself out about. And Taylor Swift seems to have an effect on nearly everything. And now she's making an impact on young voters. Back in September, a single Instagram post to her 270 million followers drove a huge surge in voter registration. Org says that 23 percent increase from last year's efforts. All right. Well, you know, I'll give you one thing, Siva. T-Swift's influence is undeniable. Mm -hmm. A recent survey found that 53 percent of adults in the United States love her music. Mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats have celebrated her and her fans uh, right on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. As a uh, ode to Taylor Swift, I will say we know all too well. I think it's a it's a nightmare dressed like a daydream. And I'm sure that you've heard this, Siva. Gannett is actually hiring a full-time reporter just to cover Taylor Swift. Right. One columnist for the Arizona Republic, which is owned by Gannett, went as far as to suggest that an endorsement from Swift could swing the presidential election next year. Oh, wow. Um, but is all of that really a good thing for our politics, Siva? Well, so that's exactly the question, which is one reason I wanted to speak with the fans themselves, the experts, you might say, to understand what their appreciation for Taylor Swift is all about. I wanted to know what they think her powers are and what they should be. Here's Maggie Hafey again. I think a lot of 
what sparked my um, respect for her was her Reputation album. Mm. That was really, I think, what sparked my like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing woman. So Reputation was a turning point. Reputation was definitely a turning point for me. And what, what, so what do you think the big message is of Reputation? Um, I guess acceptance of uh, criticism and and being like, you know what, if you guys are going to say this about me, so be it. Um, I love that about myself. And I think that's something I really respect. You know, a lot of people try to deny all the, the hatred that they get and changing. And, you know, she had subtle disses to all the people that had wronged her. And I think that takes so much strength to do, especially as a woman. I don't like your little games. Don't like your tilted stage. Even after that, the amount of criticism she got when that first came out, I remember sitting on my friend's porch with like a ton of my really good family friends and we were all listening to what you made me do and we were like, this is awful. We were like, this is not Taylor Swift. But then I remember like watching the video and I was like, okay, wait, this is kind of awesome. Like, this is really good. It's cool. No, I don't like you. But I got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. All right. That is kind of awesome. Uh, Not taking any nonsense from men, especially. I can definitely get on board with that. So, Siva, these girls, um, you said they're friends of your daughter's? They are. They're they're good friends of my daughter's. And full disclosure, my daughter, Jaya, was also in on that conversation. Uh, My name is Jaya Vadinathan. I'm a senior at CHS and I'm 17. And of course, Jaya is a big Taylor Swift fan herself. And as you can imagine, I have heard a lot of Swift's music on various family road trips. But, you know, look, Jaya and her friends, they've really thought about these songs. They're quick to remind me that Taylor Swift writes all her own music herself and has since she was about 12 years old. And and so they've thought about Swift, the personality, but they've thought very deeply about the art itself. She comments so much about things that I relate to in her songs. Um, Any emotion on the scale of anything you're going to feel as a woman, she sings about and writes about, whether people pick up on that or not, um, or whether it's like hidden within the coat of a love song. Um, And I think that's really special. Can you give me an example of a song that like moves you on that level? Um, Even lyrics? Anything from folklore? Yeah, folklore is definitely like deep and a lot of her songs aren't really love songs in that and it's like more of telling a story Mm. she's like a poet yeah a poet like she is like our times like shakespeare folklore came to me in a really good time in my life um because it is very much about storytelling and like vulnerability um Mirror Ball is one of my favorite songs ever written because she talks about how, like, because it's a disco ball. And the reason it's so sparkly is it's been broken so many times. So it's like she is trying to say that she, like, alludes to, like, being broken so many times to keep people entertained. Um, And she says, I've never been a natural. All I do is try and try. You'll find me on my tallest tiptoes Spinning in my So, Siva, I gather that you asked Jaya and her friends about Taylor Swift's influence on our political culture? Yeah, I definitely did. And they had plenty to say. Here's Elsa Miller. The first time I really, like, heard her talk about, like, politics and stuff, I think, was in her documentary. I just 
I couldn't really stop thinking about it. And that was and something that like myself, was super moving to me because she to wanted to make a statement about the woman that was running for was it Senate, Senate in Tennessee? For Senate in Tennessee. Yeah. And she was really Blackburn, she was really angry about her disguising this candidate, disguising a lot of these values behind the words Tennessee Christian values. Marsha Blackburn is up in the poll. And she's like, I'm from Tennessee. I'm Christian. This is not what it stands for. Um, and so she goes into a meeting with like a lot of her managers, which her dad's on there and her mom was with her. And she's like crying and begging to like put out a statement saying, don't vote for her. Like, this is not what we stand for and all this stuff. Cause she, um, this candidate was voting against like the protection of women, this like like act that was being questioned, I guess. And yeah, it protects against, against women. Yeah, protects against stalking. For 12 years, we've not got involved with politics or religion. Yeah, but this is on the home front. So she was like trying to be like this, like she's advocating for stuff that's like directly gonna harm me and tons of other women around the country. Um, and so seeing her like, have to like fight to like say something so basic as like her like thoughts on like a candidate because like everyone was like they're gonna like get mad at you like president trump's gonna get mad at you and she's like i don't care i know what's right and so she did it and there's like a huge like swarm of votes coming in after she like was public about what who she was voting for and what she believed in um and i think that's like i actually didn't know like that she had that much of an effect but she did yeah. i think like once she said like what she was feeling then mm -hmm. people young people especially went out and voted mm -hmm. which i think is super important i'm saying right now that this is something that i know is right and you guys i need to be on the right side of history I like music about 25 less now um another thing for me that i think people might disagree on again maggie hafey um one of the songs of hers that I personally is a guilty pleasure of mine that has gotten a ton of hate because people say it's stupid is You Need to Calm Down. I love that song. <laughs> okay. Um, I love that song. That song came out in a time where I was, um, you know, really debating my sexuality um, and really kind of coming to terms with my own self-identity and it's all about LGBTQ acceptance. The music video for that is completely like LGBTQ icons, drag queens, the queer eyes in it, completely sparkly, rainbow everywhere. And it was, I mean, I still think that's one of the greatest music videos. People hate it because they think it's stupid. It's because I think people don't like it because it's like really poppy. Yeah, but she used it like all like the views for the music video was like gonna go to like Trevor Project, right? Exactly, she donated, I think it was the Trevor Project, which advocates for LGBTQ mental health. Is like a lot yeah. of money. And I mean, <laughs> I for me, like at that time, again, that's a more personal connection for me, but also I know it was per a personal connection for so many teens and people across the country. And I think that's such a, um, even though she's, you know, a straight woman, she's an ally and she's, um, that we know of. That we know. People are speculating, speculating if she's bisexual or not. But. <laughs> <laughs> So clearly, I mean, it means a lot to these young women that Taylor Swift has been vocal, Siva, especially on matters of gender and sexuality and on feminism. What else did they point to in her music and in her life? Look, Taylor Swift is perhaps the world's biggest celebrity right now. I I love making pop music. I love the era's tour alone has made about four billion dollars. Uh, and she's been giving a pretty significant amount of it away. She's given it to food banks. The reason I'm allowed to do that is because you, the fans, gave me the opportunity to do that. To cancer research, 
to disaster relief, to sexual assault awareness. And by all accounts, Taylor Swift is generous to a diverse cast of supporting artists. I love making pop music, so thank you so, so, so much. Something that I really respect is that she uses that privilege and she uses that power to empower other groups and other minorities around her. I think a great example is just the Eras tour. I mean, that was obviously huge, but I never got to see the tour like Elsa and Jaya did, but I saw I saw the movie and I've heard so much about it. Um, and just from seeing the movie and seeing the backup dancers in it, the set design, um, such a diverse group of people, you know, of sexuality, of race, of, um, you know, body type and everything. And, you know, I think it was in Lover, their backup dancers were slow dancing around her and there were some same sex couples dancing together, um, things like that. You know, I think little, little things that people might not even realize have really um, stuck out to me and stuck out to the world. People need to see that she's so much more than, you know, this, you know, woman who all these teenage girls love because of yeah. her, you know, She's... poppy songs. This is our place. We make you know, if you really listen to what she's saying and listening to what she's doing, um, you'll see that she's so much more than that. I was just thinking about how she's like, she is a leader, but she is very like hands off. Mm. And I think that despite like she could do more like she could say like go out and vote like in support of like not getting abortion banned and like people would respond to that but i also think that the way she like is hands off almost unites the country more mm. yeah. like the whole argument for why she didn't want to be political they were like you don't want to alienate such a big part of your fan base and like i mean she was probably like i don't want those people to be my fans anyway but like i think that it almost like her being hands off brings people together in more of a way than it would if she was actually trying to create political change. Like it actually is more beneficial for our country than her actually just telling you to go vote for this specific law. And even if she does that sometimes, it's because it's important to her, but it's not like, oh yeah, I hate you if you don't go do this. That would like, you know, divide people more. So that's about tone. Yeah. Does that make sense? It like, does, it does. Okay. At the same time, what if that's falling short on life or death issues, right? Like trans rights right now are about life or death to people. You know, she lives in a state, Tennessee, that banned drag shows. So that's a First Amendment issue. It ended up getting overturned by courts. But nonetheless, like, you know, are we not at an emergency point where maybe it's her duty to not be so uniting? What do you think? I think, <laughs> um, I think one thing that she does really well is she uses social media because she has such a big following mm -hmm. on that. Is that like when she's like releasing stuff like a new merch drop, sometimes she'll follow it directly with like another story about a link to vote or like a link to something that like you can like read to like know about like what's actually happening in the world. Right. Um, so she does that pretty well, I think, where she like advocates using her platform really well. Um, I do think that the biggest thing that she does is beyond like the political actual sense is that she creates space for people to be happy and free, like at concerts. So like she had two nights at Nashville, right? I think so. Okay. She Something mostly like had that. two nights. Mostly two nights, yeah, right? Everywhere. And so even if she should be declaring openly that what's happening in trans law is wrong and that these rights need to be protected. She is creating a space where people can go and be safe and have fun and dress how they want and sing and dance and just like have a good time. 
personally, I do think she could do a little better, yeah. have a better job recently about like being openly active about saying this is what's happening in the world. This is why it's wrong in a sense of like denying like human rights, not like saying yeah. here's my massive like liberal agenda. Yeah. <laughs> not saying that, but just being like here are things that like we all care about as human beings. This is why these certain laws pushed down your throats are violating people and hurting them and creating like more awareness around like the actual harm it's doing to people who could like be just like you, could be fans just like you. Um, so making it like more personal instead of political, I think she could do a lot of good yeah. by posting that. And I think the underlying message of a lot of her music is, you know, acceptance and love, acceptance of different types of people, self-acceptance and love for those around you. And while there is room for improvement and there is room to grow and to outwardly um, and explicitly, I guess, say the values that she, you know, stands for, um, a lot of it is not, it shouldn't, Ellie shouldn't be politicized. It's more of um, values of everyone. So what I'm hearing, Siva, is that these Swifties value Swift's influence. Mm -hmm. They want her to have more, even, mm -hmm. and to do more with it. And they want Swift's focus to stay broadly oriented toward human rights, universal values, rather than a specific political ideology. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are committed to Taylor Swift's advocacy of love, of a broad sense of acceptance, of a broad sense of human thriving. At this moment, when it looks like forces are allied against or important forces, powerful forces, are allied against the interests of these young women. Yeah. Well, you know, Siva, this is a really good bridge to a conversation that I mm -hmm. want to share with our listeners. Well, listen, I can't compete with the expertise of high school girls, and I would never, ever try. This is Tressie McMillan-Cottom. And I'm, I don't mean that facetiously. I think that teenage girls are an underestimated uh, segment of thought leaders and uh, political theorists in our culture. So I just want to put that out there. Oh, yeah. Lo I love Tressie. She's an old friend of mine and a fan of Democracy in Danger. I am a senior research faculty and professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I'm an opinion columnist at The New York Times. Tressie McMillan Cottom is absolutely brilliant. She's one of the sharpest cultural critics out there right now. Uh, she's a MacArthur fellow. She's got her own sizable base of fans who, of course, call her essays Tressies. Yeah, she's written a lot about country music, and that's where Taylor Swift got her start as a Nashvillian, right? Tressie's also written about pop music. She's written about hip hop music. And, you know, she writes about race, gender and capitalism in all sorts of forms. And, and of course, she's written a whole book about education. So, you know, she's ready to talk and write about just about anything. There are very few people like her. Yeah. And this is why she makes such a great foil for our teenage experts. Mm -hmm. Also, Siva, she had a confession to make. Um, you know, Spotify does your end of the year wrap up, you know, and in the year 2000 and maybe 21, I remember saying on Twitter, oh, I'm not sharing this one. I'm a black woman in case it's not uh, evident to your listeners. And I thought I'm not getting run off the public square for this one. 
And that is because I'm willing to now share with you for the first time ever. I was among one of Taylor Swift's top listeners. Now, I just want to I just want to clarify a few things. I had been working on a project, okay, about country music that year. So some of this was research. Some of this is about the fact that Spotify is not the main way that I listen to music, so it did not have a complete census of all of my music listening. And the third one is this. This one is just very revealing. It was that Evermore album. I'm going to give her credit. I'm a singer-songwriter kind of a girl. Uh, and there are two tracks on that album in particular. I like Closure and I like uh, Tis the Damn Season. And I thought they, the phrasing and the writing on that album and in those two songs in particular, I just kept trying to crack them open and trying to figure out why I liked them so much. And so there you have it. I escaped it too. I love that Tressie is a Taylor Swift fan, too. And there's nothing to apologize about. But but Emily, what's her take on Taylor Swift's place in our political culture? Okay, so again, not taking anything away from your reportage from Charlottesville High School. But, well, here's what she had to say on that question. Yeah, I do not think that Taylor Swift, to my mind, is not a political actor. Taylor Swift is a political figure in the way that all mega celebrities have a political dimension, but that's not the same as being a political actor. And that, that might sound like it's splitting a really fine hair, but I think it's a meaningful hair to split. You know, to be a celebrity in the 21st century is to have a political platform, right? So somewhere there at the end of the 20th century, uh, celebrity, especially with the rise of social media, it changes this idea of celebrity from being something where somebody's supposed to be bigger and better than you are, than to something where they're supposed to be just like you, right? Just like you, but shinier. <laughs> and hmm. so what that means is that celebrity got infused with this sort of quotidian uh, social justice lens, right? So to be a mega celebrity now is to have some social justice cause, right? Are you doing PETA? Are you an animal person? Are you doing global warming, right? So it's not to say, you know, I don't want to be cynical and it's not to say they don't care, uh, but it is certainly a sort of deliberate crafting of the celebrity image to have a political issue. So interesting. You know, this uh, this image oriented politics, you know, I grew up waiting for Michael Jordan to say something, anything about politics in North Carolina, and he just wouldn't. And in music, of course, there were, you know, figures like Dolly Parton, who, you know, we know has her heart in the right place. She has almost this divine aura. And yet. Well, it's funny you should mention Dolly Parton, Siva, because Cottam has written about her and she brought up this point that I think that maybe you're about to make. Yeah, Dolly is interesting because she inhabits the world that Taylor inherited and is innovating beyond, right? And is trying to bring and drag into the 21st century. So Dolly is this quintessential 20th century celebrity. 
She comes along in a time when you're not supposed to be political at all, particularly as a woman, especially one coming from country music, which is a deeply, overtly patriarchal, um, white identity-making genre of music. And so Dolly's coming along at a time where to be, just to be a girl, quote-unquote girl singer, as they used to call them, is political enough, right? So just doing pop music was considered radical, which Dolly once did in the 1980s. Um, you know, the idea that you would have a cause. Uh, Dolly was considered radical because she was in a movie where the the women, you know, fought back against their boss. This is a screwball comedy. And she was almost considered like a leftist at the time for doing nine to five. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come So this alive. is how far we've traveled in this really short distance. And I actually think it's interesting to think of them beside each other because both blonde, both playing with all of those tropes of femininity, both really boxed in by what it is to be country and pop and a female singer. Um, and Dolly has just doubled down on being apolitical and silent and saying, you can project onto me whatever you like. I'm never saying anything. I don't care what you say, <laughs> right? And in fact, when we saw, you know, she is stuck with this sort of like, kind of, you know, version of a all lives matter. Let's just all love each other. My God sees no different sort of politically neutered speech uh, to see Taylor Swift come behind her and try to have to do a version of that. But in the 21st century, you've got to stand for something as a celebrity. And her version of that is a, well, get out and vote. Love is love sort of thing. But in a way, they're kind of the same thing because, you know, the only people who are against voting in the broad sense are people who we feel safely are sort of like un-American. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not exactly, it's political in the sense that, yes, it's, you know, mainstream retail politics, but it is more akin to being in the nine to five movie in the 21st century version of it than mm -hmm. it is, I think, in any way, like a political platform. She's not saying vote for X. She's saying vote, you know? Is it implied, though, that, I mean, it's sort of digging deeper there, because I want to go back to something that you talked about, which is sort of critical critical blonde studies. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Taylor and Dolly, they're both blonde. I'm coming at this as a chemically assisted blonde myself. Um, <laughs> a cab. <laughs> also, exactly. As 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 our listeners may or may not know, I am a white woman. I, I'm invested in this critique of blondness. Um, you've thought a lot about this and you have a lot to say about the blonde blonde critique. Once you were banned from TikTok for talking about about this. Yeah, is this right? I so, was. TikTok felt strongly. Yes. So tell us about what you posted there. What did it mean and what was the what was the backlash there? I said something that I thought was just an everyday observation. And it, it was actually, right? And so, which is exactly why people were so angry about it. Listen, this is a low hanging fruit of uh, feminism 1.0, 2.0, which is that uh, blondness is a type of performance of uh, femininity that channels a compromise with patriarchal ideas about acceptable performance of womanhood. 
Right. And that that is wrapped up in ideas about race, class, gender and body politics, an acceptable way to be a woman that excludes some women by including and elevating some women at an extreme cost, financial cost, emotional cost, social cost. And it is a type of status. Right. This is why people spend a ton of money and a ton of time pursuing and maintaining blondness. And it is a, a social identity. So it's these things are never just about beauty and never just about how I feel. Oh, I just like being blonde. It's like saying, no, I just happen to like being thin, tall, and rich. Well, like, yeah, of course you do, right? And also it is an extremely powerful form of social status that also happens to map onto an historical set of ideas about the acceptable way to be a woman to accommodate patriarchal ideas about femininity. That is Women's and Gender Studies 101. There you go. It's good. It's good to say. It's good to say, and it is low-hanging fruit. And you got scolded for it. Oh, scolded, I think, is being polite. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm still getting routinely getting, uh, I think, what we call revenge ban reported on TikTok and social media. I'm still getting letters to the university. I am still getting social media messages about it. I mean, this is almost eight, nine months old, um, might be even a year now, year long. And so, and I write about this experience about why this just sort of like goes to the heart and write this column about it in the New York Times. And it has probably been one of the most expansive responses to anything I have written in a very long time. And that's saying a lot. I tend to get a lot of mail when I write things, but I mean, I go out on tour and I do, you know, I do talks about like economic inequality and, you know, higher education and profitization. And I can sit there and do like these talks. And at the end, people line up at the microphone and they go, yeah, but here's the thing. I've uh, wanted to be blonde my whole life. (laughs) Like it's just these very serious women and they come from, all across the world, by the way, about the way that blondness and desiring it had shaped their, uh, you know, their movement across the diaspora for coming from the global south, for example. And it was just really clear that uh, something about the way we were doing modern girl power feminine discourse had left something out for a lot of women. So, all right, maybe maybe this girl power that Taylor Swift symbolizes is a lot more complicated. But what about Swift's support for LGBTQ rights as human rights? I mean, that's a courageous act, a significantly political act, right? Yes. And I think Cottam would agree with that. At the same time, though, it creates a, a sort of paradox. Mm. Cottam brought up the Love Rising concert that took place in Nashville this past spring in support of the queer community. And here's what she had to say about that and much more. Listen, the thing about Nashville, Tennessee in that moment that I find really interesting is that it is a bit of a Rorschach for exactly how these things happen. I was actually on this long, on the initial text thread of the thread that became Love Rising. That is because my friend and musician and like Phenom, she's just really one of the most brilliant, beautiful people I know, Allison Russell, the musician who organized Love Rising um, with her merry band of what she called her Rainbow Coalition musicians. And this is a coalition of mostly Black, Brown, and Indigenous, country, Americana musicians who have been shut out of the Nashville machine for being that. 
right? Um, so she is nurtured by this community, she would tell you, of drag queen, queer loving people. She herself uh, is queer and um, she sees these bands happening and she's like, we got to do something. It goes from a text message to a full out program in like a week, in a week, because that's how Allison is. She's a phenom. And then when the, you know, when we get to the space, no shade to Taylor, Taylor supporting it becomes, look at Taylor Swift doing this great thing for a body of work that is about a whole bunch of brown and queer people doing drag for which they could get arrested for doing on the streets of Nashville. And for a lot of people, they now still can't really get booked for doing, you know? And I think that's just a real real picture of how complex the politics are both for the South as we understand it when we step back from that bigger picture and how complicated it is when we layer celebrity on top of that thing. She did the right thing, but by virtue of just being the celebrity, nobody's talking about all of the really vulnerable musicians who made that thing possible. It doesn't create more opportunity or platform for them in a place where they want to live and work. They want to live and work in Nashville, like other musicians do. So what does it mean when Taylor Swift like becomes part of that story? It both sucks the air out of the room, makes it hard to see how the people on the ground made that thing happen, but also elevates the issue to national prominence and people pay attention. And that's the like catch 22 of being the young, blonde, ever innocent, mega celebrity who gets to do that. I'm not sure that anybody's mad at it, but also like, dang. Well, and it's like, which bodies get to be the, uh, you know, she's a white, blonde, tall, thin, classically beautiful cisgendered woman who's not right who's not whose body is not on the line in the way that some of these you know the the musicians who are at the heart of this and the performers at the heart of this are and so it it's both silencing and elevating in this really challenging paradoxical way right we're glad i think i think everybody was like really glad she shows up Mm -hmm. but you know showing up for the messaging and showing up for the fight are probably two different types of showing up. I will say the type of politics I think she does more quietly is that she does female rage. I, I'm like maybe the general listener in that I think of Taylor Swift's greatest power in being that she channels relationship angst and elevates it to stadium anthem. That's what she does, right? She makes um, We Will Rock You versions of breakup songs. And that in itself is more than fine. I think that's great. I mean, that's as valid an art, pop art form as any other. I'm not sure she needs to make a great Woody Guthrie song. And I think that is a kind of political act. Um, I I would problematize it a little bit because the rage she channels is a very particular kind of white female rage. And I think that she knows that to her credit. But like when she sometimes has dipped into the uh, classic country subgenre of the sort of dark murder song, Right. You know, I'll I'll kill, you know, you cheated on me, I'll kill you. Um, That has a a deep storied history of being a woman's way of sort of responding to a political and cultural system 
that makes it impossible for a woman to do anything else to get justice. It's a type of resistance narrative for women. So it's not politics the way we probably think of it, democratic, nice, polite, <laughs> liberal democracy. But I think that when she does that kind of stuff, uh, when she has dotted her repertoire with here and there, it gives voice to something that women don't get to do in liberal democracy very often. Women aren't allowed to be angry. That's why when you see something like the Women's March, for example, and you see like almost a million women out in the streets, or you see the way we have responded to women being rightfully angry about the Dobbs decision, uh, we were gaslit into, oh, this is not a real political concern. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you have a pop culture figure giving any voice, I think, to women's rage, it has the potential anyway uh, to have some political salience. Tressie, um, I want to ask you a question about um, lineage. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a question about Dolly's lineage. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of, you famously at one point argued that Lil Nas X is actually the person who is the inheritor of Dolly Parton's mantle. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily Taylor Swift, although Taylor is part of the kinship diagram, but she may yeah. not be the direct inheritor. It's it's not Casey Musgraves, although maybe she's on there too. It's Lil Nas X. Yep. So and I know I was being I was being real subversive there, but. Unpack that's it. We want to hear. But that's the thing. I think Dolly is subversive. I think Dolly is subversive and how she has played with the way we project all of our complicated ideas about the South, about femininity, about drag, so sexual identity and gender and race onto her. She has played that thing like a fiddle perfectly for going on 50 years now and has never made a misstep. Right. She has navigated like some like cataclysmic changes in the pop culture landscape now for going on 50 years. And I'm not sure that anybody right now who's like the visible heir to her throne is going to be able to say that because they're really kind of in one mode. I just don't see Taylor reinventing herself in the same way. I see Casey sharing her politics and her drag performance. But again, I don't think she has her resilience. I'm not sure we're going to look up in 30 years and Casey Musgraves has done that same high wire act for that long. What I was saying, we may look up and Lil Nas X hasn't either, but what he has, he has the raw material to do it and mm -hmm. that he is malleable and has the deep sense of humor and his ability to play with social media and with audiences' expectations the way Dolly has done has shown that he has the, um, the raw material to do what she has done which was he understands intimately, I think even better than the audience and the media does, he understands the landscape. One of the reasons Dolly has lasted this long is that she understands the difference between what the audience says they want from her and what they really want from her. So they all clamor for her and say, Dolly, we want you to do this. And she's like, no, you don't. This is what you really want. And I'm going to give it to you. And she's done it consistently. And I can see him doing that. He plays mm -hmm. with our ideas of gender and performance in a way that feels extremely fresh. He's doing it through a racial performance. In Dolly's case, she plays with whiteness. In his case, he's playing with blackness and our expectations of it in a way that I think could save hip hop from itself, from becoming stale. 
in the way that Dolly could kind of saved country music from becoming stale. And listen, and he's fun to watch. The thing is, Dolly's been fun to watch for a really long time. And um, these are genres both that are so deeply embedded in their obsession with being authentic. Country music, about authenticity, hip hop. We're so authentic, we keep it real, that they can become boring real fast. Can you say a little bit more for our listeners? Tell us a little bit about his performances and this point that you're making about how he's keeping it fresh. So what does that what does that sound like? What does it look like? Yeah, I think even his trajectory from people wanted the old um his uh you know his country owed um Old Town Road to be a joke. And he wouldn't play it for complete satire. Um, and it, it was precisely because his humor was just such a step ahead of everybody else's. But he took all of these tropes in mainstream country music at the time, that sort of bro country. A uh, heavy bass sound. He understood that what they were doing was basically making trap music, which is a subgenre of hip hop. He heard in it what they were doing. He said, "Oh well, that's all we do. We make trap music. I'll just take trap music, take country tropes, and I'll just do it better than they do it." And he did. And instead of playing that for like a social media joke, he made a legitimate, really good country song in its own contrivances and totally upset its charts, upset all of its conceits, so much so that they wouldn't change the charts on him so he wouldn't be the number one song. I mean, that's such a dolly thing to do, like to beat you at your own rules and then graciously go, my bad, you know, walk away from it. (laughs) So, Tressie, big question. Yeah. Can celebrity help save democracy? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, and here's another question that I mean, we've spent today talking about Taylor Swift, Dolly Parton, Lil Nas X. What are we what can we take away from talking Mm -hmm. about country music, from talking about um, celebrity and how it's related to how we might make sense of Mm -hmm. make sense of democracy? Yeah. You know what I think? I think artists can help say democracy to the extent that a few artists happen to become celebrities and maintain their artistry, God help them, because it's hard to do. The celebrity machine is designed to strip artists of all their radical potential, all of their solidarity with working class people and uh, other oppressed and marginalized groups. The celebrity is commodification, celebrity is commerce. Celebrity is identifying a market and giving them a good, affordable product at a price that allows you to extract profits. <laughs> that celebrity. Artistry, however, an artist, an artist can sometimes break through. And an artist wants to make something that moves you, that moves you to go do something in a direction that they think creates the world they want to see. And so what I think we see when we see the rare celebrity that does something that runs counter to celebrity. And maybe what we see with Taylor are glimpse of artistry. Right. And that being a mega celebrity just hasn't completely stripped her of it. And I do think that's possibly it, because you know what? At the end of the day, you know what I think Taylor is? I think Taylor's a writer. I think Taylor's a writer who worked really hard to get good at that guitar. And she has an okay voice. That's what I think. And I, I think even she would agree. And Dolly has always said that when you I watched hours and hours of uh, tape for the piece I wrote about Dolly over her whole career in the most consistent way she has described herself is as a writer. 
Jason Isbell describes himself as a folk singer who's a writer. I mean, I think they are just writers who happen to do this other thing. And maybe that's what we're seeing in them. I will also say this. One of my favorite stories about Taylor Swift is I saw her segment on one of the late night shows where someone was making a joke about musicians not having health insurance, background Mm. musicians. Uh, And she said, mine do. And she's very focused and committed to labor equity, right? Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? Mine do. All of my musicians have health insurance. And, you know, I will give her that. And I'm not sure any, I'm not sure an older, again, uh, there's a, a 20th century model there of celebrity and musicianship that I'm not sure could have, would have been able to say that and would have said that so easily. Listen, uh, it's easy for us to be cynical about why she does it. And then the final analysis, the materialist in me will say, it doesn't matter why she does it. Ultimately, it only matters that she does it. That was Tressie McMillan-Cottom. She is a sociologist, journalist, and essayist, and a 2020 MacArthur genius. Her latest book is a collection of essays called Thick. And we heard earlier from Maggie Hafey, Elsa Miller, and Jayavadi Anathan. Democracy in Danger is part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to find all of our sister shows. We'll be right back. So, Emily, you know, we we started this season out looking for our Woody Guthrie. Mm. And after thinking deeply about what these three girls from Charlottesville High School had to say about Taylor Swift's meaning in America, and after listening to Tressie dissect celebrity culture so effectively, I have to say, I don't think Taylor Swift is our Woody Guthrie. I, I (laughs) I think Taylor Swift has the potential to be the sort of person who makes a strong, bold stand for democracy and justice. But so far, I think she's tiptoed into that admirably, sometimes bravely, sometimes even effectively. Although I would point out that Marsha Blackburn is the senator from yeah. Tennessee. So, you know, her her effectiveness has yet to be actually demonstrated at the polls. But mm-hmm. look, Taylor Swift is only 33 years old. She has a lot more ahead of her and uh, can probably play a larger role in democratic life. But I don't get the sense that she feels like she should be Woody Guthrie. And these are different times. Yeah. And her audience is different. And she is speaking to people like my daughter, who are hungry for empowerment in all its forms, personal and political, and kind of old in old time, you know, feminist terms, a breakdown in the wall between the personal and the political. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, one of the one of the important differences between Woody Guthrie and Taylor Swift is that Taylor Swift is not anti-establishment, right? Mm, right. Uh, at least I don't think of her that way. Right. Uh, rather, she's she's someone who really talks about how women should speak up and take a place right. in the establishment, and in doing that, call out the way that power works. I mean, they're both prolific singer songwriters. <laughs> they're who, both prolific singer songwriters. Right. Look around the world, but. You know, we can't imagine Taylor Swift hitchhiking her way across the United States and and meeting people and listening to their stories. She internalizes a lot of other people's experiences, pressures, and her own. And 
universalizes them to the extent that she can. Mm -hmm. And that has meaning in and of itself. So perhaps I'm setting up a an unfair comparison. Yeah. I mean, you could think of it as, you know, Taylor Swift sings the anthem of I'm not going to take it. Neither should you. But, but one of the things that Tressie reminds us of, of Taylor Swift, is that there's a lot to critique, too. I mean, one of the reasons why uh, Taylor Swift is so popular and powerful is that she steps right into the aesthetic of the, the tall, leggy, gorgeous blonde, right? And uses that as part of the leverage that allows her to make the statements that right, she right. she makes. And she's not she's not necessarily very critical of those conventional beauty standards and, and issues of, you know, of um, body image. Yeah. I mean, I just wish we could have put Dressy in the room with these three girls and, and had them work through a lot of their different perspectives on this. I think the, uh, you know, the girls would have probably pointed out that, you know, Taylor Swift is a work in progress as they are, as we all are. And and we might see, again, we might see a very different level of influence and inspiration over the next few years. And not just from Taylor Swift herself as a celebrity figure, but from her legions of fans who have the ability to organize, to identify each other, to motivate each other, to move each other in ways that can go beyond anything specific Taylor Swift indicates in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like BTS fans have done around the world, supporting human rights, supporting particular, you know, causes over and above anything that that band has pushed forward. You know, I, I see tremendous potential in this awakening and awareness. And I'm one who is generally cynical about celebrity influence on anything. I do think, though, that every once in a while, there is someone who can raise consciousness in a way that can be translated with sufficient work into something real. Mm -hmm. And maybe Taylor Swift is one of those people. You want something and it's true? Then they say you should let it go. Might rip you to little pieces, but when it comes back, you know. Do I do? That's all for our Taylor Swift episode. Hope you enjoyed the music as much as we did. We will be back in a fortnight with more from D&D on the art of democracy. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram, why don't you? We are at D&D Podcast. That's D-I-N-D Podcast. And please visit our webpage. It's dindanger.org. There you will find show notes, links to more from Tressie McMillan Cottom, and many great images. Leave comments about any of our episodes, subscribe to the show, and drop us stars on your favorite podcast app. Democracy in Danger is produced by Robert Armengall, Nicholas Scott, and Stephen Betts. Ariana Aronson handles our social media. Adine Yeager engineers the show. Our interns are Charlie Burns, Lena Freyhot, Katie Pyle, Makdu Morad Shah, and Caroline Yu. We have help from Ellie Salvatierra. Support comes from the University of Virginia's College of Arts and Sciences. The show is a project of UVA's Karsh Institute of Democracy. We're distributed by the Virginia Audio Collective of WTJU Radio in Charlottesville. I'm Siva Vadianathan. And I'm Emily Burrow. See you soon. And I'll write your name. So what's a young type love like me supposed to do? I gave this girl my heart even though I...